0: The title of tonight's message is, Fire by Night. If you would, open up your Bibles to... We're going to start in Exodus 1.11. Exodus 1.11. Say there when you're there. Tonight we're going to go through some Scripture. If you came hungry for the Word of God, you will be full by the end of tonight. Amen. I hope that none of you think it's okay just to even wink... Tonight, because if you do, you're gonna miss something. You're gonna miss it. Don't don't nod. Don't nod your head any. I, how many of you are? Any of you guys tired? Yeah. Man, I thought I thought some people were gonna to try to play it off like you weren't. <laughs> I I know what it's like. But tonight you're gonna to get something tonight. It's gonna to be good. So don't 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 miss it. We're gonna start in Exodus 111. we We're gonna talk a little bit about what it was like for us being saved. It says, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. The Egyptians made slaves out of the Hebrew people. Let us go to Genesis 4-7. We're going we're to sort of rifle through some scriptures at, at this point. So if you want to write them down, if, you, if you're a... A good Bible flipper, and then just flip through them as quick as you can. We're going to make some parallels and some comparisons of what it was like for the Egyptians and how that relates to us today. Genesis four seven says, "If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. But you must master it." In Egypt, we're going to. Everybody, see the little drawing over here. This is Egypt right here. Ibrahim can tell you all about what that looks like and what this is. In Egypt, it says that they, they put slave masters over the Egyptians. In Egypt, there were slave masters. It says in Genesis 4 that sin desires to have you. Before you were born again, before you were, you were uh, set free from your sin, sin had a total reign in your life. Let us go look over at Exodus 1.14. Exodus 1.14 says that the slave masters made the Egyptians, Egyptians' lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their hard labor, labor the Egyptians used them what? Ruthlessly. They were ruthless. John 8, 8.34 says... Flip over to John 8.34. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Sin is not the type of thing that you can do just one time and have a one time experience with it. Sin's the, sin has a mind of its own, it has a will, it will take a hold of you and it will make you a slave. Anytime you sin, if you think that you get away with it, you really don't because that sin trails after you and it will make you a slave. Over and over again. Before we were born again, we submitted ourselves to a ruthless principle that was found in sin. We were totally dominated. Totally. There wasn't any way that we could have ever gotten free. Let's go to Exodus one twenty-two. Back to Exodus. We're doing a lot of back and forth in between Exodus tonight. Exodus one twenty-two. Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. There was death that reigned in Egypt over the Egyptians. Turn now to Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through, through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all men sinned. There was death. Death in Egypt. Now Exodus two one. In Exodus two one we read, Now a man of the house of Levi married a house of married a Levite woman. Go to the next verse. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a what? A son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Luke 2:11 flip now to Luke 2:11 Say there when you're there The Bible seems not to want to turn Luke 2:11 says, "Today in the town of David a savior has been born to you. He is the Christ the Lord. In Egypt a savior was born." Let's read Exodus 37. Back to Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. Say there when you're there. If you want, you can keep your finger in Exodus cuz we'll be going right back and forth. Exodus 37 says, "The Lord said, I have indeed, indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering." Now let's go to Luke 4:18. Luke 4:18 Jesus was reading this in the temple. He says, "The spirit of the Lord, sorry, in the synagogue, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the what? Poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the what? The recovery of sight for the who? To release the whom? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Jesus came to bring freedom just as God sent Moses, he sent Jesus. Oop. Not Hebrew yet. Read now Exodus 7, verses 3 through 4. You guys starting to see a pattern here? Exodus 7, verses 3 through 4. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and, through, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2, verses 22. Say there when you're there. Acts chapter 2, verses 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. God proved himself by miracles and signs. I'm running out of space. By miracles and signs. Let's go to Exodus 12:12 12, 12 through 13. Exodus 12.12-13 On the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when you strike Egypt. Now let's go to Revelation 12.10. All the way to the back. Revelation 12.10 Everybody there? Revelation 12.10? Sorry, 12.11. They overcame Him by the blood of the what? Lamb. The Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They overcame by the blood. we got a couple more. Two more of these. Sorry, one more of these. Exodus 12.36 Exodus 12.36, right next door to the previous Scripture. Exodus 12.36 says, The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. In verse 35 it says, "The, The Israelites did as Moses instructed it, and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and for gold and for clothing. They came out with riches. They came out with riches. Let us now turn to Ephesians 1, 7 through 7-8. Ephesians 1, 7 through 7-8. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Go to the next verse. That He what? Lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He lavished all of these things with wisdom and understanding. Let us now go to John, first John three one. In the same vein of this riches. First John three one. How great is the love the Father has what? Lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. We were in bondage to slave masters. They were ruthless to us. They brought death to us. A Savior was born to free us. Brought us freedom from from the power that held us captive. He, He performed miracles and signs to confirm it. Shed His own blood and lavished us with riches. That is the story of every person who is in Christ Jesus. Every person that is in Christ Jesus. The Lord brought His people out of Egypt. This is just a review for many of you that were in the the, uh, Exodus class. If you were there, you know the first thing that they went to was what? They went into the desert. First thing they went to is in the desert. As As you listen to all of this... I want you to try to put yourself in that position because that's what this that's what the scripture does, that's what the New Testament writers do, is they try to, to get you in the mindset that you were there, and the same things happened to them happened to you, because they did. Let us go to Exodus 13, verse 17. Exodus 13, verse 17 says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. Which way was shorter? The one God did not lead them on. He led them on the longer path because He knew what would happen. He intended for them to take the longer route. So that brings us Man, I wish I would have wrote a little smaller so I could have kept all this, but we're going to have to trim it. We're going to have to trim it. That brings us right here. Out in the desert. Longer road. The Lord brought the, the Israelites, first thing, into a desert. Let's go to Exodus 1523 and we're gonna we're gonna just get a, a picture of what it was like living in the desert. We're gonna put ourselves in 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 the movie. We're gonna insert ourselves in, ourselves into the story. We're gonna pretend like we're the ones actually there. Exodus fifteen twenty-three. When they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. There was bitter waters amongst them. They were immediately led the, and they, they uh, began to grumble against the Lord because the water was bitter. They could not drink it. Bitter waters. Bitter water speaks to me more than anything else. Trials. Bitter waters. Now go to Exodus 16.4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. I'm sorry. Let's go to Exodus 16. We went a little bit too far. Verse 2. Back up a couple verses. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. In the desert, they faced another kind of trial. No food. Starvation. Of course, we know the Lord provided food, but did they still pass the test? When the Lord uh, tested them and tried them, did they pass the test? Not at all. Let's go to Exodus 17, verse 2 through 3. Exodus 17, verse 2 through 3. So now they're quarreling with Moses and saying, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? They're facing another trial now. No water. No water. You see, um, some of you who are from foreign nations, you'll understand what it's like to not have water. Um, For most of my life that I've lived in America, I've never really had to to face the challenge of not having water. But as soon as I've gone to other countries, lived in other countries, uh, where you could not buy bottled water, there's just nowhere that sells it, uh, you start facing the reality of what happens when you run out of water. The last drop means a little bit more to you then. Let us go to Exodus 17.8. Right on down. Exodus 17:8. Everybody there? Yes. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, "Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites." Now they have to fight. They already they've already faced no food, no water, bitter water, and they've had to go the longer way around Egypt. Flip over if you will to Deuteronomy 25:17. And listen to what the Lord says about what happened with the Amalekites came. You know, you can get the picture. Here here they're they're struggling without water and without food. What kind of army is that suitable to go out and fight? It really isn't, is it? Go to who's in Deuteronomy twenty five, seventeen, you there? It says, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt? When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. Now, if it's not enough that they're, they're struggling to find food, they're believing in the Lord for water, now they have enemies who are coming behind, cutting off all who are lagging when they, were, when they are weary and tired. Any of you know what that's like? Yes. When you are at your lowest point... I swear there there was a there has been a few times uh I can count them on one hand, but a few times in the last year that specifically an attack of the enemy had occurred right when we were at our tiredest moment when we were when we were uh out of town doing things for ministry, taking off work, maybe finances are kind of you know getting getting to be a challenge and and the and the enemy inserts just himself right in the situation and creates. Creates a uh, a trial there. Next, we go to Exodus thirty-two, verse thirty-five. After all this, the Israelites make it to the mountain, and this is what happens. They go up on the mountain. While Moses is on the mountain, their flesh gets the best of them. Their impatience begins to grow and grow. And their flesh gets the best of them. You know the story. They, they, they tell Aaron, make us a golden calf. Aaron complies. He makes the golden calf. And then, the Lord struck the people with the plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Now they're being disciplined. This is such a heavy burden that... Let's read on. Exodus 32-35. says In verse 3, 33 verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. This is the Lord telling his people, he had led his people out and he's telling them I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. They were disciplined by the Lord. And because the Lord said, I will not go with you, they begin to mourn. They're in the desert. They're facing longer roads, trials, no food, no water, enemies on it, all behind them. And they're being disciplined all the while. I don't know about you, but does anybody ever seem to feel like you're, you're in this place? Where nothing just seems, it seems we, we just can't get anything right. Let's turn to Exodus 13, 21 through 22. In the midst of all this, in the midst of all these things, while they're in the desert place, the Lord gave his testimony to stay with them while they're in the desert. Exodus 13, verse 21. By the day, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. The Lord was so gracious to the people that He put His presence there in front of them. There was a cloud right here. A cloud by day and a fire by night. And everyone in the desert could, as they were moving forward, they could look forward at this cloud And they could know where to go. Even at nighttime, when when the situation just began to get a little bit more dim. Have any of you guys ever ever had night come on you and make things a little worse? I used to know know a man that said, there's nothing good that happens after after midnight. Nothing good. I know what it's like to be out out in the middle of nowhere. You have to get something done. The night comes on you and it makes it worse. Because now you're out there at night. Can you imagine what it must have been traveling by night while there are enemies out there, enemies stronger than them, when they don't know where their food is going to come from, where they don't know where they're going to get water next, where they they just faced a trial the morning before, they're on the longer road. This is exactly where the Lord put the Israelites. Exactly where they put them. At day... They face trials. At night, they face trials. And God put His presence in front of them so that they could see where they're going. There are so, so many of us who are in that situation in our callings, in our lives, that we have left Egypt. We had seen God's miraculous mighty hand. We have have experienced the blood of Christ in our life. We We have seen the Lord crush the enemies in the Red Sea. And then we wind up in the desert place and we, have, we lose it. We just lose it. Something comes upon us that we, we just can't seem to cope with. It's the idea of not knowing what's out there. The idea of not knowing what's out there. There are many of us, we wonder why. Why, is our, why are our marriages the way they are? Why, why can't we seem to get our flesh in line when we really want to crucify that thing? Why can't we do it? Why can't I seem to find out exactly what my function is in LCM? Why can't I find my mezuzah statement? Why can't I do these things? What is wrong? And the whole time, the Lord has put His presence in front of them to guide them. What does it say? He said... Let's let's go to Exodus 40, verse 38. said that He gave them a pillar of fire that would give them light. Give them what? Light. Light. Exodus 40, verse 38. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all of their travels. Do you hear that? Over inside of all the house of Israel that means everybody could see it it wasn't just reserved for the special few it wasn't just reserved for the ones that are closer to the pastors the ones that are that are uh, more gifted more skilled more talented the presence was in the sight of everyone they had they all had the ability to see it if they had eyes to see but did that keep them from complaining not at all not at all this the the lesson here is not You know, we're not going to rail on people for complaining. We're not not going to so much beat down as so much as to give hope. That if you can't find why you're in this desert place, if you can't find why, if you can't find the why, if you can't find the what, if you can't find the how, you can look forward into the fire, the pillar by night, the fire by night. You can look forward to the cloud by day. And that can be enough for you. That can be enough for you. We can get comfortable with the not knowing how, the not knowing why, and the not knowing the when. We can get comfortable with the, Lord, why has it been ten years and my vision has died? Lord, why can't we have children? Lord, why, why does it seem like this ministry is taking off the, the ground? Why doesn't it seem like I'm walking in the thing that You've spoken to me? Why is it, Lord, that You've given me a vision of a mountain that I'm supposed to be on. You've given me a vision of a mountain called Zion that I am supposed to go to, but I don't know how I'm going to get there. The Lord does this in our lives so that you can get used to looking at His presence. I tried every way to find out what this this signifies. The cloud, the fire, you know... There are scriptures where, Jesus, where John the Baptist said about Jesus: He came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. tried to weigh these things out, and all I could really come up with was that this represents the presence of God. This cloud by day, fire by night—it's one and the same. Represents the presence that goes out before us. Let's go to Numbers nine sixteen through twenty three. Numbers 9.16-23. This is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked by fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at His command they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command they would encamp, and then at his command they would set out. Do you, you hear you hear the 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 necessity for watching in this? The necessity to watch and see where is the Lord's presence in all of this. Where is the Lord's presence? If the presence was not there, they were in, if they if they just suddenly, you know, you ever have those moments where you just kind of wake up and you don't know how you got there? If they had one of those moments. They could have missed it. They had to consistently watch, consistently focus on the presence of God. Otherwise, where would it go? You know, Jesus said in John 3, "The Spirit like the wind blows wherever it will." And so are the people that are led by the Spirit so are the people who are born of the spirit if we want if we want to succeed in this desert with all of our questions with all of our que- that need answering these are questions that need answering if we want to survive and we want to succeed in this desert we have to get used with not we have to get used to not knowing we have to get comfortable with i don't know exactly what my function is right now But I do know this, I'm gonna set my eyes like I'm gonna set my face like flint towards this presence, and I'm not gonna let it out of my sight. And everything I do, if the presence of God is not in it, then I will not do it. And if it is there, I'm gonna do it with all my heart. I'm not gonna make it up that it's not there. Just because I don't like to do it, I'm gonna set my face like flint to do it because the presence of God is there. And everything we do, everything, we have got to to see the presence of God in it. We've got to see it. And we've got to experience the presence of God in it. Otherwise, when we take our eyes off of this, when the Israelites take their eyes off of His presence, where do they look? They start looking elsewhere. They start looking back to Egypt. They start looking into the darkness everywhere else but besides God's presence. They start looking at everything else. And once they look at everything else sin begins to rise up in them. We cannot let ourselves get weighed down with the uncomfortable... Uh, the uncomfortable. We can't let ourselves be weighed down with how uncomfortable it is to not know the answer. To not know when I'm going to be launched out. Lord, I see everybody else being launched out, but why not me? You know I'm qualified, Lord. Lord... Lord, You said in Your Word that, that if I'm going to be a leader in God's household, I've got to be able to lead in my household. Lord, I don't see it. Lord, when, when is this going to happen? All these questions can be easily answered by just looking into God's presence. Amen? Amen. Looking into God's presence. Let's talk about God's presence for a second. Let's go to Exodus 33, 14-15. Exodus 33, 14 through 15. Moses is asking, Lord, if you are pleased with us, please go up with us. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. The Lord told him, I am pleased with you. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses said a crucial statement to the Lord. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up. We cannot cannot get ahead of God's presence. We can't do it. If we are getting ahead of God's presence, we have to stop, backtrack a little bit, refocus our eyes on where we need to be, where where was the last time we... Felt that cloud of God's presence. Where was the last time we felt that fire of God's presence and we saw that fire? Where was it? And we have to get back to doing those things. Isaiah 2.21. We're going to talk a little bit about all these. I've got... Look at there. Seven scriptures on the presence of God. These next two scriptures are going to, are going to show you on what God's presence is when we see it clearly. We don't exactly see God's presence clearly all of the time, and that causes us to miss things. Wouldn't you say that's true? Yeah. We miss things because we don't see God's presence clearly. God is talking about His presence breaking out, breaking out, breaking out in the last days. It says about men, sinful men, they will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags, from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of His majesty, when He rises to shake the earth, it says that they will, they will flee you can leave it there they will flee to caverns and the rocks. I think there's a, a, a parallel scripture in Revelation that says that the great captains of the earth will, cry out, that will they will cry out for rocks to fall on them, to hide them from the face of the lamb. God's presence. Let's go to uh, Revelation 20, verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and Him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from His presence, and there was no place for them. Even the earth and the sky are fleeing from God's presence. They can't bear it because it is too... What do we hear in Isaiah 2? The splendor of His majesty is so great that the earth and sky are fleeing from them. Fleeing. The majesty of of His presence is so great that it literally flips everything on its head. It turns everything upside down on its end. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. In Isaiah 6... It, talk, it talks about these creatures that are in God's presence and they're seeing God's majesty and His splendor and they're covering their faces and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. They're covering their faces. Here we have earth and sky fleeing from His presence. What do we have in common between seraphim and, and the sky and, and all of that? One thing I do know is that all of those things are created by God. All of those things are created. Everything that is created by God literally, gets flipped on its end in God's presence. And yet, look at what Hebrews 10.19 says. When we talk about God's presence, when we look at men who got in God's presence, like Isaiah. Isaiah, got he, he saw the Lord's presence, and what did he say? Woe is me. I... I have unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. He's repenting just for his proximity around sinners. Just how close he is to sinners. Peter said, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. When we think in terms of God's presence in this way, earth and sky fleeing from it, we think, Lord, if earth and sky flee, what am I going to be doing? What am I going to be doing? But look at what God does. Hebrews 10, 19 Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the what? Blood. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain. You hear that? It's new and living. That way didn't die. Did not die just because we take our eyes off of it. Open for us through the curtain. That is, His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clen- Sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Even though even though we, we cannot physically stand in God's presence, every person who spoke to God in the Tanakh, every person, they end up telling the Lord something like, oh, now that I've seen you face to face and I have not died, <laughs> like Gideon. Gideon was terrified and the angel had to tell him, do not fear. He is terrified because he thought he was literally going to die. And yet, because of the blood of Jesus, we can have confidence to draw near to Him. To draw near to God. 1 John 3, 18-19 gives us more good news. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let us love with actions and in truth. Next verse. This then is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence, even though you could stop there. When, when we think about god's presence, when we have altar calls, when the word goes out and pierces your heart, you think your heart begins to become unsettled, and you repent of it, but after you repent of it, you go out and you go to the go to verse 18, you love with not with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You go out and do what the Word says. And because you're doing what the, what the Word says to do, you, your heart can be set at rest in God's presence. Let's go to Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 29 It says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. When we get into the presence of Jesus, when we, when we lay at His feet, when we look, we're, we're talking about looking at this fire, looking at this cloud, looking at it and knowing that His presence is with us. We could set our heart at rest in His presence because we are doing what He has told us to do. We are doing the last thing He revealed to us. And we can sit at the feet of Jesus uh, completely uncomfortable with things around us, but we can, we can take His yoke upon uh, us and we can learn from Him because He is gentle and humble in heart. Gentle and humble in heart and you can find rest for your souls just merely getting in the presence of Jesus, sitting at His feet, asking Him to, 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 to cover us with His mantle, His yoke, His burden. Amen. Asking Him, Lord... Lord, what is it? Didn't Jesus? Didn't Jesus say, "Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow brings enough trouble of its own." Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about next month, next year, next five years, next ten years. We can set our hearts at rest, just looking right at Jesus, just getting at the feet of Jesus, and asking Him, Lord, Lord. Even though everything is so chaotic, even though everything is crazy, Jesus, I want to sit at Your feet. Lord, I want to see You. I want to see Your presence clearly. And you can have Him give you a new yoke. To wrap up this strand, we'll, we'll land this thought and begin a new one. In Psalm 16, verse 7-11, say there when you're there. This is going to get even better. Don't, don't, don't get tired on me. Don't get tired on me. This just gets better and better. Psalm 16, verse 7 through 11. I will what? Praise 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 the Lord who counsels me even at night. Even at what? Even in the darkness. My heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always where? Before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because You will not abandon me to the grave, nor let Your Holy One see decay, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in Your presence and eternal pleasures at Your right hand. In His presence there are joys there are joys that can sustain you longer than, than all of your... Your worries, your worries can f- just completely overwhelm you, fill you with dread, fill you with, with uh, being completely uneasy at looking at, at, at what you see. You can, you can set your eyes on everything else and be completely at unrest, but get in His presence, have Him fill you with joy, that can take you a whole lot further. Than that, than that fear of not knowing. That can take you a whole lot further. You can get in God's presence, get one word from the throne of God, and that will drive you for the next month. You can get into God's presence. Ask. Let, raise your hand if you know what, this, what I'm talking about. You can be completely burdened, overwhelmed, just dragged, drugged down and get into God's presence for just 10 seconds. Have Him overwhelm you, flood you with His presence, and it'll change the next week. Anybody ever know, know the truth of that? Come on now. It's good stuff. Filled with joy in His presence. We need to be keeping our eyes on the presence of God. We need to be keeping our eyes on that presence. When we do that... No longer, do we, no longer do those things even matter to us. No longer do those trials seem so large and so so overbearing on us. We can look at those trials and, and be completely okay with, with whatever comes our way because we have God's presence. We're focused on it. Go to Micah 7.8, and we're going to talk about keeping our eyes on the presence. Micah 7.8. Got three, four, five people? Micah seven, eight. Somebody's getting there. Let's start in verse seven actually. But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me my enemy though I have fallen I will rise though I sit in darkness the Lord will be my light. Do not gloat over me my enemy. Look at your trial and say do not even think you're going to stay even though the trial might stay. Even though the trial will still be there. You can look at the trial and say do not gloat even though I have fallen and I, my joy has fallen, my faith has fallen I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, who will be my light? The Lord. The Lord's presence will be my light. Let's go to Psalm 18, verse 28. Psalm 18, verse 28. See, we started at cold in Egypt, and we're going to get hotter and hotter and hotter as we go. We're moving toward, toward that flame. We're moving toward that fire that is before us. Psalm 18, verse 28. Let's start in 17. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Whew, that's a good word. He delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me. I'm sorry. I'm reading about five verses earlier than I should, but this is still good stuff, isn't it? Everybody notice that? You're all so humble that you wouldn't speak up. Let's start in verse 25. Skip on down to 25. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty; those whose eyes are full of nasty things. You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Just looking at the Lord's presence can turn your darkness into into light, even though you are still surrounded by not knowing, surrounded by uncertainty. He can turn it into light just by being in His presence. All of your your questions can be answered by one thing. The presence of God surrounding you. Everything seems right in God's presence. Everything does. Nothing else matters, doesn't it? Let's go to Psalm 89, 15. Psalm 89, 15. You guys with me? Psalm 89, 15. Say there when you're there. We're going, to, we're going to review some Hebrew words in this next one. Is it right, right if I go ahead and erase this? If I can find right here. This next verse has got some good meat in it. If you can just remember these pictures, we left Egypt, we're in, we're in the desert, we've got the presence of God before us, and we're headed towards that mountain. We're headed towards that mountain, that final place where we are going to be there on Mount Zion with God. Psalm 89, verse 15 says Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, learn to acclaim you. Who walk in the light of your presence. Who walk in the light of your presence. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength. The Lord is our glory and strength. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim. What does acclaim mean? If you look it up in, the dic- in uh, Merriam-Webster, it will tell you they have learned to uh, praise. They have learned to give praise. But this is not exactly what the Hebrew says. Blessed are those who have learned to give you praise. They rejoice in your name all day long. They exult in your righteousness. This word learned is not just learned. It is Strong's number thirty forty five Yada. And this word acclaim doesn't just mean to give praise. It is Strong's number eighty six forty three. And the word is terua. Everybody say that. Terua. Terua. It's a manly word. Who walk? Psalm 19, or sorry, Strong's 1980. A lot of people are saying, yeah, I think we've got some 80s babies. Halakha and Presence sixty four forty. I'm sorry, see how it's spelled. Paneum. Now I would encourage everyone to go do word studies on these words. Some of you know what what you're familiar with some of these are. Some of them not so much. But in brief, yada means to know intimately. Teruah is a war cry. A shout for battle? Halakha. Halakha actually means walk. But halakha, if anyone has uh, studied Jewish culture, you know that in Jewish culture there are two types of uh, uh, what they call a midrash. A midrash is uh, something you derive ...from the Word and you exercise it as as your... Um, ...exegesis is, is a word, but you exercise it as your implication, your teaching... ...a teaching derived from the Word. Now, there are different types of midrashes. A midrash, teaching derived from the Word. There's halakha and then there's haggadatta. Halakha and ha'gadata in Jewish culture... Are two different things. Haggadah is when we look at something like when we look at Abraham leaving his father's country, and the Jews in their in their in their tradition, they say that Abraham, you know, he he uh, he broke all of the idols except for one, and then he put the hammer in that idol's hand, and then he told his father, you know, that that uh, when his father walked in and said, "How did this happen?" He said, "That idol did it." The, uh, his father said, you're crazy, an idol can't do that. He said, why do you worship them then if they, can't, uh, if they don't have the power to do such things? That would be Haggadah. That would be uh, Haggadah is like a folklore, uh, you know, some kind of flo- folklorical implication. You know, something that you would take and just kind of suspect that, well, you know, uh, when Moses was born, he was the finest child in all of Egypt. The word I don't know that it exactly says that, but it's something that, that uh, you know, we derive through other texts and things like that. Well, halakha, halakha means something completely different. Halakha is more concrete than agadatta. Halakha is your way of life. To a Jew, halakha is how you carry out a commandment, how you walk out a teaching. So if the word says to go give generously to the poor, the halakha would be, how do we do that? And it is so important that if we do not do it correctly, then we're sinning. So halakha is very important, is it not? Halakha means walk, but it is a way of life. It's how you carry out the commands. So when Jesus say, um, you've heard it said, eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. But I say, bless those who persecute you. That is Jesus' halakha. Jesus is teaching his own halakha. He's doing exactly what the rabbis did, teaching his own halakha. And then we have pauneum, which does not only mean presence; it means face, means uh, means present, presence. Pauneum also uh, also means countenance. So when you when you're thinking about pauneum, that's when we get into kind of a, a mix a mix of words. It means different things, but it means it all together in one. To a Jew, it's not, to, it's not hard to understand that someone's countenance, the, the very n- nature of, of, of their being, their pr- the presence of that person and their face are all similar and they're all a part of, are a part of the same thing. And so, paunea means both things. If you look at Exodus 33, it says that God... Saw Moses face to face, paneum to paneum. But it also says, "Lord, let Your presence come with us." He said, "Let Your paneum come with us." And so let's read it. Let's read it. How it would say in Hebrew: "Blessed are those who intimately know Your war cry, Your battle cry, who walk." And have a way of living and who carry out in the light of your intimate presence. Blessed are those who know, who know intimately your war cry and walk it out as a way of life in, in the light of your intimate presence. See, this is getting deeper and deeper. As we look at the presence of God before us, the fire by night, as we look at the cloud by day, we become more familiar with what that presence looks like. We we get more familiar on how it rises up and how it comes down. We know when to watch and when to go and when when to step and when to sit down. And we begin to know intimately, as we're obedient to the Lord, the battle cry, the battle cry to walk as a way of life. In the light of God's intimate presence, in the light of His intimate presence. Let's go to Psalm 112, verses 4 through 5. Psalm 112, verses 4 through 5. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For the gracious and compassionate and righteous man, good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. Even if you're surrounded in complete darkness, light can dawn for you if you are righteous, if you are looking at the presence of God, and you are doing what his word says. So, Note that he says even for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man good will come to him who is generous and lends freely and who conducts his affairs with justice. How do you how does a person continually do something like that? How does a how does a person continue to give freely who who is gracious and compassionate? How is a person who lends freely and conducts all his affairs with justice? He does it by looking at the presence of God, by walking as a way of life in the light of His intimate presence, he becomes a generous and compassionate man. Let's go to Matthew six twenty-two through twenty-three and see how this builds onto it. Matthew six, verses 20 through, twenty-two through thirty-three. Say there when you're there. That's not right. Yeah, 20, twenty-two through twenty-three. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. I'm sorry. Verse 22, the eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Notice the imagery here. If you're there in the darkness in the in, in the assembly of the Lord in the desert, And your eyes, if you're looking out in the darkness, looking at everything that is wrong around you, your body will be full of darkness. And you will no longer be compatible with the presence of the Lord. You will no longer be able to comply with the Word of God. You will no longer be able to uh, carry on in faith and do what the Lord says. But if your eyes are full of light, if your eyes are peering into the light of God's presence day and night, then you will be able to do what the Lord says. And then what does it say? Verse 24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This teaching, the eye, a good eye, is a Jewish teaching. A good eye meant someone who gives generously. But they can give generously because they have a good eye because of what they're looking at is good. They're looking at God's presence, and it makes all of the inside of them good and clean. Amen. Let's go to Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2. As we begin to round this thing. Let us fix our eyes on who? Jesus. Jesus, The author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Let us fix our eyes on... On Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us not look at everything that is that we consider to be wrong, but let's fix our eyes on the, on the one who began it and the one who perfects, the one who authored this walk and who perfected it. How did he perfect it? With joy set before him, he endured the cross. Didn't we just not hear about being full of joy in his presence, his presence filling us with joy? He was full of joy because he was in the presence of God. That's where he got it from. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Continue on to the next verse. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. You can stop right there. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus who suffered at the hands of sinful men. He was able to obtain the promise because He endured the opposition. He endured everything, all of the trials, everything around Him, because He set His face towards the Lord, towards the Lord's presence, for the joy that was set before Him he endured the cross. In Colossians 3: two through four. Colossians 3: two through four, Set your minds on what? things where? Above. above. Set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. You want to know the will of God? You have to, you have to be able to set your mind in the heavens. Not on the things that are earth. Not on the things that, that, that easily entangle us. Go back to, go back to Hebrews 12.1. We didn't read verse 1. Go back to... Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great... What? A cloud. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Consider Him. He suffered so much at the hands of sinful men. He suffered so much. So let's set like Him like He did for the joy that was set before Him. Remember, we have the desert right here, the fire, the joy set before Him, the mountain behind Behind all of this. Let's set our eyes on Jesus as He set His mind on the presence of God. Let's set our minds on things that are above. And how, what does that look like? When you start to get weighed down, when you start to get entangled in the thoughts of, of Lord, I see guys in. I see men and women in the church, Lord, how did they get like they are? Lord, I want what they have, but I can't do it. Or, Lord, why can't I find my mezuzah? Why can't I? When is it going to come? When am I finally going to be walking in the thing You've called us? Why can't we do this? Why can't I do that? Why am I not uh, gaining victory in this area? And why does it seem to be so hard? If we set our minds on things that are above, in that moment, if we begin to just separate it all and say no 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 i am not going to set my mind on that even in your worst moment when sin when when temptation to sin floods you and you and it looks like you have no way out stop it stop everything you're doing don't take one more step like moses said unless your presence does not go i am not leaving this spot stop everything you're doing and begin to set your mind on things that are above. Begin to set your mind on God's presence. I promise you that if for a second the devil lies to you, listen to me, the devil lies to you so much that you don't even know it. He lies to you and tells you you're not going to reach your calling. You're not going to be, succe- you're not gonna be uh, successful in the kingdom. The vision the Lord has given you has died out and it will never happen. The, you, can, you can set your mind just for a couple seconds and it will disappear. It will disappear before you like chafe in the wind. It will separate from you. Financial struggle, everything. It will still be there. You will still be in darkness. But like the psalm said, that light will dawn for the upright. That light will dawn even though you are surrounded. You can begin to set your mind on, on, on what the Lord has done. The testimony of what the Lord has done in my life. And it will disappear like... It will disappear We're going to read, and let's go to Revelation 1. Just going just to rifle through a few of the promises. Now we're going to start talking about the mountain and how we get there. You see, the Lord promises that we will stand, we'll all stand on Mount Zion. In Revelation 2, verse 7, I'm sorry, I said chapter 1. Revelation 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you want that? Oh, if any man could have access to that. That's something, ain't it? Let's go to Revelation 2 verse 11. Everybody there? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. You overcome, you will not be hurt by the second death. Let's go to verse 17. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. If your name has been soiled, if your name has been muddied, the Lord will give you a new one. He'll also give you some of the hidden manna. Let's go to verse 26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. It gets better. I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. That's a prophecy for Jesus in, in, in uh, Psalm two. But Jesus is giving some of his authority to those who overcome in him. Amen. Just as look. Look at, look at the commentary the word has on itself. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give Him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Flip now to to chapter 3, verse 5. Everybody there? He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He will give you a new name, and then he will speak your name on you, for you to the Father and to the angels. Amen. Let's go now to verse 12 of chapter 3. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Oh, don't you want to be in the temple of the Lord? Don't you want to reign and be a part of that? Never again will He leave it. I will write on Him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on Him my new name. You will get His name written on you. And let's now go to... To uh, chapter 3, verse 21. If all of that wasn't enough, Jesus gives one more. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Did we not just hear what happens? Earth and sky flees from His throne, and yet He will give you the right to sit with Him on it? I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Jesus is, is, Jesus is kind of giving you the, uh, the prequel in Himself of what's going to happen. He's giving you the example. He's saying, just as I have done, you will done. Just as I had joy set before Me, you will look at My presence and have joy set before Me. Just as I have overcome, just as I uh, battled this world and left victorious, so will you also battle this world, leave victorious. You will battle your thoughts, your flesh. You will battle the enemy coming and implanting, inception, putting thoughts in your mind, and you will overcome. If you overcome, you will do exactly what I did. Look, He says, I will give Him the right to sit with Me just as I overcame and sat down with My Father on His throne. It is exactly as. Jesus died, went to be with the Father at the right hand, and you will you will walk that same path up to the throne, sit with Him on that throne, be with God at His right hand, and be there with Jesus if we overcome. Does this not call for... for perseverance and and patience through testing. And when we have all of these moments where our faith is tested, doesn't it with this mindset be so glorious? Doesn't it seem seem so glorious listening to this that in those moments that we rise up in faith and say, to heck with that. I'm a son of God. I will reign on the throne. I will not back down for a moment. I will not shrink back from a moment in doubt. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? But when you're in the moment, it doesn't seem so victorious. Do- it doesn't seem so glorious, doesn't it? Seems like just another day in the desert, surrounded by everything. And yet the presence of God is still before us. We're gonna. You guys got a little bit more time? Can I take a little bit more of your time? We're gonna read one more scripture and then we're gonna get a little crazy with this, okay? Now. What the Lord put on my heart is that in the midst of darkness, He still put His fire, His testimony, His presence right there. We don't have to understand everything. We don't have to have all the answers now. He'll give them to us. Rest assured, you will see with your own eyes the land that the Lord will give to you. You will see it. You will see your calling come into fruition if you persevere. If if you can learn, just start with the baby steps. Let's go back. Let us not... Let us not uh, go back to the elementary doctrines of repentance, uh, baptisms, faith, repentance from dead works, but let us move on to maturity. The maturity is that you will one day reproduce men and women like you. Hopefully. Let us all get there. The Lord has promised you that, hasn't He not? Hasn't the Lord promised every single one of you? You You will produce fruit Many of you, if you're like me, I have, I have literally seen... As soon as I was born again, I saw it. I saw the, what, everything that, that the Lord had. Not everything, but I, it's like I got a revelation of what the Lord was going to do in my life. And it didn't exactly come to pass in the first couple weeks I was born again. And it still hasn't come to pass. Remember when we read uh, in the teaching about sons and slaves, when we read um, Corinthians 2... No eye has seen, no mind has, has, has conceived the, the good things that the Lord has in store for those who love Him. And yet it is being revealed to us by His Spirit. Amen. These things are being revealed to us. Let's go to Revelation 19, verse 12. How many of you want to see Jesus? You want to see Him fully? His eyes are like what? Blazing fire. And on His head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Didn't he not say that he would give you that name? He would give you that name. What is his eyes like? Blazing fire. I can only help but to think his eyes got that way because he was steadfast towards God's presence, that blazing fire. And when we see him, we're going to see the same fire in his eyes that we saw in the presence before us all the days that we followed after it. When we finally get before Jesus, we're going to see that that pillar of fire... Is right there in his eyes. We've been staring at the eyes of Jesus the entire time. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus and let us run our race with perseverance. Let us do it. Now, that that that, that gets me a little bit going, doesn't it? We uh, man, we've been talking a lot in in uh, you know situations and and what happens you know in your trials and being in the desert and. That you need to hold on, but what if there was a way that you can make decisions that always landed you in the in the right, right uh, position with God? What if there was a way to make decisions that always put you right before the presence of God? Wouldn't you like to know that? Oh, yeah, yeah. If there was just a like a systematic theological strand that we can go through that would teach us how to how to always make the right decisions, wouldn't you want to know that? Yeah. I think I would. Got a. There's a question I have to ask, though. Can a man carry fire to his chest and not be burned? Can he? No? You've heard that scripture before, haven't you? Heard it quoted? Usually usually uh, having to deal with some sort of immorality. I kind of saw it in a new way. I kind of saw it in a new way. Uh, Pastor Matt, Elder Baj, and I, we were sitting around... Um, couple nights ago, and we, uh, Elder Baj asked Matt a question about a a certain revelation in the Word, and we began to kick it around, and we found something that's just too good to pass up. You guys want to hear it? Let's go to Exodus 28, 29 through 30. Exodus 28, 29 through 30. We're going to talk about decision-making before we wrap this up. You guys are good, right? You don't need to go get any coffee or anything? Decisions. We're going to start in Exodus. What did I say? 28, 29, 30. All right. It says, Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also, put the Urim and the Tumim in the breastpiece, so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the what? The presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Have of you guys ever heard about the... Uh, I guess the English would say the Urim and the Thummim. Any of you ever, any of, ever read that and wonder what the heck these things are? To yeah. be honest with you, it's pretty unclear if you study, by all counts, all, all of Jewish tradition, all, of, um, all commentaries on the Word, everything. It's pretty unclear as to what these things are. Some people think they're stones. Some people think they're some sort of dice that are, that are being stuck inside the breast piece. But I'll tell you what. I know what they're for. Aaron was to stick them inside... Inside the, breasts, the breast, the breastpiece, the ephod, he was to stick them inside so that they, they would always be over his what his heart, always over his heart. these things have to have a lot to do with the heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord, if you want to make decisions in the presence of the Lord, well this this could uh, this could could give you some help but what is what are these things doesn't really answer it here doesn't it? Not at all. Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions. Somehow these things are used to make decisions. And it's kind of funny, isn't it? It's like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you, um, wouldn't you expect the Lord to, to do something different? Isn't that kind of random? And the Lord's saying, hey, I'm going to give you some little playing dice. and you're, every, Anytime you need to make a decision on, on uh, which way to go, which way to uh, you know, be in my presence... What decision is going to help you main, be in my presence? I'm going to give you these dice. You're going to roll them around, throw them down, and see what they tell you. Isn't that kind of crazy? To me, that, just, that, that blows my mind that the Lord would do something like that. And yet, we see it all through Scripture. We see it in uh, the book of Acts. They cast lots to see where they would fall for the next apostle to take Judas' place. We see it in um, 1 Kings Whenever, or we see it in Joshua first, whenever Joshua is trying to single out whoever, whoever was the man that sinned, he uses the, the Urim and the tumim to find out who did this. Uh, also, when Saul wanted to find out uh, who had sinned, you know, it was Jonathan who sinned, he consulted these little playing dice to, to figure out what was going on. Let's take a little stroll through the Word and see if we can get a clear idea of what these things do. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, 1-6. through 6. These are the commands. Decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing so that you, your children, and the children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Keep going. Hear, O Israel, and be... Careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your what? Upon your hearts. The commands... Are to be on your hearts. Brings a. Some, you know, the commands are to be on your hearts, but does that really give all the way clarity? Let's go to Joshua 22. Joshua 22, verse 5. See what it says. But be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses the servant of the Lord gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to obey His commands, to hold fast to Him, and to serve Him with all your what? Heart Heart and soul. Let's put all your hearts. (laughs) With all your hearts... And your soul. Let's go to Psalm 119.11. Psalm 119.11. I have hidden your word where? In my heart. That I might not sin against you. hidden your word in my heart. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. From what we gathered so far, The commands are to mold our hearts in according with the Word, to walk by the Word, so that we may be pure and what? See God. God. How do we see God? We allow the commands to mold our hearts by His Word to make us pure so that we can see God. Let's go to Hebrews 4.12. Let's go to Hebrews 4.12. Say there when you're there. Most of you can quote it by memory. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Let's go to the next verse. Nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Now, this Urim and the Thummim, we can't exactly say what it is and how they use it, but one thing it does is it lays bare the decisions of the heart. It makes a judgment for the Lord and then it lays bare our judgments. When we have a judgment that we're going to make but we yet submit it to the commandments of the Lord, that reflects on our own judgment and that reflects of really who we are, our thoughts, our motives, and intentions. I'm sure Saul wanted to do one thing, but the Lord had another judgment to make. And so when he consulted the Urim and the Tumim, when he consulted those, the Lord made his judgment and reflected on Saul's heart. I'm sure same with Joshua. I'm sure same with Aaron and all his decision-making. But let's continue. Revelation 1 3. Revelation 1 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. What does it say? Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart. Take to heart. Now, if you've caught the, the similarities and the flow of these scriptures, you'll see that all of these things reflect on the heart. All of these things reflect on, on the thoughts, the attitudes of the heart, the commands hiding them in their hearts, walking according to the word, making us pure in our hearts so that we can see God. It judges our motives making us pure and, it, and we take it to the heart and follow everything so that we may see what is before us does that answer it all the way not quite can i erase this we're going to get a little bit deeper into it can i you guys got that yeah. write it down put it on your doorpost. bind it on your wrist if we look at these words go back to exodus 28 29 through 30 We look at these words. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial for the Lord. Also put the Urim and the Tumim in the breastpiece so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart. You see, he put these two things with the, with the stones. He put them in the ephod. The, the priestly garment. It says that they have to be over his heart. Whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Those two things have to be over his heart. And when he does that, he will have the means of making decisions for the Israelites. Aaron will have the means of making decisions. How about that? Well, what do these two words mean? And Hebrew. Exactly. What do those two words mean? Let's do a, let's do a word study here. While we were sitting around and, and trying to figure this out, we did a word study on these two words. Urim, Strong's number 224, is a plural. Plural word. Notice the I-M-E-M making it plural. Its root word Comes from Strong's two fifteen. We'll write root two fifteen. Ur. Everybody say that, Ur. <laughs> Strong's two fifteen. What that means is fire or light fire or light. So when it's plural, it means fires. Fires. This thing they put in there is a plural word for fire, it means fires. We thought, that's strange. He put the fires inside of his heart. What does Tumim mean? Well, we looked it up and Tumim, write it over here, Tumim is Strong's 8, 550, and it is also plural. Notice the I-M, plural. The word is Tumim comes from the root word Tom or Tum. And Tum means... Perfect. Perfect. Or integrity. Can everybody see that? To me means perfect or integrity. So plural is perfections or integrities. Perfections or integrities we thought well that's strange we hear a lot about the word about the the spirit and the word being in coordination with one another we can understand this fires we can understand that the fires of god's presence the the spirits of god uh, the menorah being the spirit of god the fire that gives light being the god, being god's spirit but how what is this right here perfection perfections wouldn't it if it really meant that, wouldn't it be clear, uh, clearly labeled as law or something like that, or Torah, or, you know, why doesn't he stick the Torah inside of him? What we looked up is perfections. We went over to Psalm 1911. Psalm 1911. And we decided to see what it said. Uh-oh. Not quite it. Verse 7, then. I guess I just like 1911s. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. Psalm 19, verse 7 uses the word perfect. That word perfect is 8549 funny thing is, though, if you want to take, we'll just use this as an example. If you want to take tumim in Hebrew, it's going to have a tav, a mem, a yod, and another mem. Right there, and the difference in pronunciation is that it has these vowel marks right under it. This apparently makes the oo sound. That makes the e sound. Now, if you want to look up the other word in Psalm nineteen eleven, it's tamim, tamim. You want to know how it's spelled? A Tav, a Mem, a Yod, and a Mem. Now you see, the difference is, this one has the Ah vowel mark, whereas this one doesn't. But when this was written, when this was written in Scripture, you see, the reason we have these vowel marks is because around 600, 600 A.D., the Meserets, I think that's how you say it, the Masoretic people, the ones who gave us the Masoretic text, they included these vowel marks so that people can know how to pronounce Hebrew. Hebrew is always spoken with consonants. It's it's a purely consonantal language. There's no vowels in it. And so they added these vowel marks. But to the original writers, to the original writers, there is none of this. The words are the same. The law of the Lord is Perfect. In the breast piece, God ordained that Aaron stick the fires of God's presence, the fires and the perfections of the law in his heart so that he can make decisions. Every time he got into the presence of the Lord, he was to judge everything by the fires of God's presence and the perfections, the integrities of God's law. And that is everything when we make decisions must be done in accordance with those things. Funny is, when you look through the Word, you see the same thing repeated. The same thing repeated. Let's go to Psalm 43, verse 3 as we close. Psalm 43, verse 3. Send forth your what? Light and truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Send the light of your presence and the truth of your word. Let them guide me to your holy mountain, the place where you dwell. We are moving forward to the mountain of God and the things that guide us will be the fires and the perfections of God's law. Turn with me to John 4, 21-24. John 4, 21-24. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on that mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. These are the kind of worshipers the fathers seek. The ones who worship in spirit and truth. The one who worships by the fire of God's presence and the truth of God's Word. Amen. Amen. When we're stuck, always remember. When you're making a decision, always remember that you can, you can get counsel from God's Spirit and God's Word and they must always come together in agreement. If you have one without the other, it's incomplete. They have to balance out. As we close, let's go to Isaiah four, three through six. Isaiah four, three through six. Say there when you're there. Isaiah four, verse three. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. And all who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem, the Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Judgments, the Word and fire, spirit and truth. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over all the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and the rain. At the end, if we look forward to God's presence, if we remain faithful to to Jesus, by fixing our eyes on Him, persevering in the way after Him, consulting every decision by the fires of God's presence, the fires of God's Spirit, and the perfections of His law, balancing it out, walking. It says that, look what it says. To all who are left in Zion, the Lord will create over them a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of fire by night. If you trust in the Lord and persevere in the trust, even though things are not going your way, even though you don't see it clearly yet, even though you don't have the answers yet, even though you don't have your ministry partner yet, even though you don't have the country that you will go and minister in yet, if you persevere in the Lord, if you maintain your relationship, your, your, your intimate following in the presence of Jesus, worshiping Him, he will, make a, he will make a glow of flaming fire, a, a cloud of smoke, and He will put it over you. And it will be a shelter and shade from the heat and a, a, of the day and a refuge and hiding place of the storm. You will be under that and people will come to you as a, to, to be a part of the refuge and the shelter. Isn't that a testimony of even how this church was started? Out of nothing, the Lord made an assembly. Out of nothing... And over it, there is a cloud of smoke by day and a flaming fire by night. And it is a refuge to those who need it. Be encouraged tonight. Be encouraged tonight that you don't need to know the answers. You could be in Egypt surrounded by all of your trials. And if we take our eyes off of the presence of the Lord, if we take, like Paul said, he didn't say, I focus on what was behind and I leave what's before me. I focus on what's before me. I focus on the presence of God before me. If you do that, you can have your heart set at rest in His presence, even though you don't know it yet. And slowly by slowly, as you follow Him, the Lord will be gracious and faithful. He will reveal you. We heard the other night, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your hearts. He will give it to you. I'm going to conclude. Pastor Matt's going to come up. And uh, hopefully you guys go home encouraged tonight knowing that we don't have to have all of the answers. We can trust in the Lord's presence and He'll guide us. Amen? Amen.
1: So raise your hands if you were here last Wednesday. Can somebody shout out the title of the message last Wednesday? One... One life, one family, one nation at a time. I know we got 977 sermons online available for you guys to listen to. So we expect you to memorize them all, title and all. So let's connect some dots real quick into Justin's message. And we're going to have a chance to conclude and really put this into practice as we walk out those doors. So we have one life, one family, one nation. That was Wednesday. Friday, Brother JJ brought the fire of God with talking about destiny at discipleship helps and part of the homework was that week concluding this coming friday every person who had not yet uh, conclusively heard from the lord about their mezuzah statement if you're in that class you understand it if you have a question of what that means come and see me when we're after when we're done after tonight and then we went from destiny into sunday's message do you all remember what the title of sunday's message was Swords and shovels. This is how we are designed at times to carry out God's will, that we will fight with one hand and we will build with another. I just want to know personally, raise your hand if swords and shovels is where you are at and progressing in your call right now. You're building with one hand and you're fighting with the other. I'd say that's nearly three-quarters of the room if we're talking about heads of households. So as we go through this linear progression, and then Monday night at Foundations, what does Pastor Wade teach on? The will of God. And then tonight we're talking about being led by the cloud and the fire, and particularly the umim, urim, and nathumim. The decision-making process of knowing God's will. His presence is everything, which includes His Spirit along with His Word. So why don't we do something a little bit unique tonight? We would normally have worship. We give you a chance to respond, get your hearts right before God. But particularly in this, let's go to Philippians 4-7 as you guys stand to your feet.